Good day, Aussie music fam. I'm Saba from the Silly McQuiggles blog, your host for this Silly Talks podcast series. How is life? Did you love the first two episodes with Desiree? And have you had a chance to check out her music as well? I know it's only been a few days since you heard me last, but I'm sure you've already missed me. That's why I have Silly Talk number two with a new guest ready for you. This week, I'm chatting to a Perth-based singer-songwriter, Prita Greeley, who appeared on my radar because she's also lived and toured in Europe, where I'm currently based. After spying on her online one day, I ended up on the Muso's website, where I came across quite a touching blog post from June this year. It was about self-doubt, giving up on music temporarily, and a little regret maybe as well. But I've got news for you. Prita is very modest. She's back to her musical self now and has heaps more to be proud of than she actually admits. So here is her story. So I always try to kind of switch things up and I was recently looking and I had this idea to do like a series about Aussie musicians who live abroad, so overseas. And I found you um, through the Australian Embassy in Berlin uh, website. And then, you know, I... I clicked on it and then I saw I, I saw your post on the blog and then I kind of realized that you were back to Perth and I was like, well, that's even better because we can talk about the two perspectives that you have as a musician. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be kind of like the focus of what I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. And what struck a chord with me in your post was that um, kind of thing that you needed to prove yourself again when you mm-hmm. went back home. And that's something that happened to me as well when I came back to Europe. It's like, I, I thought I was going to be this, like, you know, success because I traveled the world and like, I speak languages and I'd seen this and that. And, mm. and it's like, you come home and it's like, you're just, just and somebody like within the crowd and it's hard because you think you're going to stand out, but then you have to prove yourself all over again. And you kind of yeah. start from scratch. I can so relate to it. It's so frustrating and demotivating as well, because you've got this career behind you, so to speak. And then it's like, you have nothing and you just have to kind of start building it up. So yeah. what I wanted to start with is you mentioned in that blog post that you had a friend who asked you to write all your accomplishments in music from the beginning. And you did that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was really kind of like uplifting for you because you realized how many things you've done. So can yeah. you take me through it, kind of like how it started and like the highlights of your career? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, I've always played guitar since I was very, very little, just but I'm just mucking around and then you know, started learning properly when I was about 13 and then just ended up, jam- like, started with classical guitar and then ended up jamming with different people. Mm-hmm. But I, and I, I always did music, drama and dance in whichever school I was in and I changed schools quite a lot. And then when I left high school, I had this dream that I wanted to be a jazz singer. Okay. And I auditioned for one concert conservatorium in Canberra and I didn't get in and I was devastated. And I just thought, right, that's it fuck it, I'm going to do, excuse my language, but I'm just going to do anything else, you know. And so I went off to another part of Australia and just ended up working in childcare and put music aside for a little while. But it's the kind of thing like music's in my blood and I, it's like if I don't play music, I die. You know, it's, it's, okay. it's part of who I am and I, I just I can't actually live without it. And so eventually, you know, music started coming back in and I started playing little bits here and there at parties and finally moved down to Perth and um, started doing open mic nights. And from that moment, I was mainly just doing it on, on the side of everything else I did. Like I, I would study something or I'd work full time and I'd just do music on the side on 
on a weekend or here and there. I joined lots of different bands as backing vocalist, as a, as a you know, duo, as a trio. Um, and I guess, I don't know, like, I, it's hard to say, like, what the highlights are because it's just, it, where do you begin? Like, what, what are the highlights? I don't know, like, you know, yeah. um, I guess, I guess, like, uh, you probably want, you know, I've made several albums so that, you know, that's always a highlight when you can write and record and produce mm-hmm. your own albums. Um, I toured with a band called Dave Man Collective many, many years ago, and I used to go out with him as well. So that was a really amazing experience touring over Western Australia and doing some festivals and things. Um, and eventually I moved overseas, and, and I think probably probably the biggest, yeah, highlights for me was um, when I just packed up everything and moved, moved to Europe and ended up eventually coming, living in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And I just started from scratch again, like a completely, I went over with a guitar, a suitcase, my laptop, and I knew one person and maybe two people. And I literally just started with any gigs they would give me. And I just had to like build my whole career up again after having done it in Australia for you know a long time. And eventually I made this amazing touring circuit all over Europe, playing solo mostly. And you know, that in itself for me is such an accomplishment. When I look back now, you know, at the time you just think you're always looking ahead, but when you look back, you go, wow, that's actually pretty amazing to go with nothing and just start from scratch with, you know, no language. I didn't speak German at the time and I didn't speak any of the other languages, but now I, you know, I can speak German now and some other bits and pieces. And yeah, you know, I got invited to play really cool festivals um, like Bamberg, Tucha Blues Jazz Festival and um, some little festival in Nienburg where I won like a songwriting competition, performing sort of competition and ended up winning like a thousand euros and and I got to support the, um, I think it was a Spencer Davis band or something like just something like these, these amazing kind of things that just happen as you go. Like, you know, you just out there taking opportunities, playing gigs. But I think also for me, it's also, so like the little moments that can be such big accomplishments, even though they don't sound big to other people, it's like the magic moments that you have when you have a whole audience listening to every word you say and like pin drop kind of those kind of moments where you're just holding that energy, you know? Yeah. And then and when people come up to you and go, oh, you touched my heart, like that for me is the biggest, mm-hmm. you know, connection moment you can have with somebody when your music can actually make someone feel something, you know? Absolutely. So maybe I should have actually um, rephrased it and it's not the highlights, but something that was important to you in your career. And I'm, I'm glad that you said that about the, the, that moment, you know, when you have it with the audience, because it's very important. And, and, and I feel it as a fan of music as well. So, you know, sometimes you go to see a band and you either don't know them on, or like you're not really interested, but then you see them live and you completely change the idea. Because I think yeah. live music has always this kind of aspect to it as well that, you know, it touches you emotionally because you're in the moment with the band and it's kind of like yeah. a mutual feeling as opposed to you kind of, you know, playing it on Spotify or whatever, you know, it's mm. recorded and it's kind of different. That's so, so true. Absolutely. I have a habit of picking independent artists' brain about the ups and downs of doing things their own way in the music biz. So that's what part two of this silly talk with Brita is mostly dedicated to. I also wanted to know whether the singer finds anything challenging when touring, especially overseas. And it turns out there's one emotional aspect of it that not many musicians talk about. 
So yeah, I know that you uh, released like seven different records or albums. I don't know what to call them because some of them were EPs, some of them were live yeah. albums, some of the studio ones. So you um, financed them all yourself because you're an independent musician, correct? Yeah, I did um, a couple of them I did crowdfunding for, but yeah, apart from that, I did it all myself. So yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and I guess uh, something which is related to it, which I wanted to go to, into a bit later, but we can talk about it now as well. Um, I often ask the independent musicians what they think the hardest part of being independent is and also what they think the most liberating part is. And everybody gives a different answer. So I'm kind of ah. hearing like what, what it is for you. Like, Yeah, I think, I mean, the positive is definitely the freedom of choice that you have and the freedom of, of how you express yourself and which gigs you choose to play and, and what songs you want to put out. And, you know, you having complete control over your artistic creation and expression is such a is such a gift you know and that sometimes is the thing that people give up when they do sign on with some some labels not every label but some you know bigger ones obviously um you know I've heard so many stories about people that you know were like me and then they signed up to a big label and then they just kind of were actually really disappointed because yeah although it sounds so great and it seems like such a huge achievement suddenly they had to pay they had to pay for their cds like every single they had to buy back their cds and they had to repackage everything and they had to I don't know things you know it wasn't always everything people think it is you know um and I guess like for me the hardest the, or the challenging thing about being a musician uh I definitely would have to say relationships can really um struggle with that because I find that at the beginning when I'm with somebody who you know, has found me, you know, somehow seen me playing music as well. They At the beginning, they're all like, oh, that's so great. That's so awesome. You play on the stage. That's so cool. Oh, you travel. That's awesome. And they kind of really are excited by the whole, yeah, you know, wow. package and who you are and everything. But after about, I don't know, a year or so, they pretty much always end up being like, uh, you're never here. Uh, you're always away. I, I'm not as important to you as your music is um they feel kind of second to that and I think that can be a really a struggle sometimes as a, as a musician because you you want to give everything your heart and soul to this passion of yours but at the same time you want to have love in your life you know so sometimes that can be such a challenge I think you know yeah, I don't know if that's answering the question, really. I just to... no, it is actually a very interesting aspect, and I think you're the first one who said it. But I think it's so important because the relationships, especially if you're a touring musician and you tour internationally, then it's super hard to maintain not only like the you know love relationships, but even the relationships with your friends. Because you know you're yeah, not yeah. there with you, so kind of you they you don't you're not in the same moment, and like they don't live through the same experiences. So how do you kind of try to stay connected to them, or like you know? Or have you had any bad experiences when it comes to that with friends like you would like move away because you're not there or someone would kind of step up, you know, and like they became closer just because you were kind of in that situation? Mm. I mean, I, I definitely have had, I think, some relationships that probably have ended partly due to that because, um, yeah, just because it was just too challenging to not be the centre focus of my life, you know, to be part of it but not the thing. Um, but I think a lot of my, actually a lot of my best friends are scattered all over the world and in a way that's a beautiful thing because I have such, you know, close, true connections with beautiful people and, like, I can, you know, name them and they're, like, in they're in Switzerland, they're in Germany, they're in Norway, they're in England. Like, I just, there's just 
individual people that I'm just so close with and we stay in touch online. You know, we we chat on, you know, Instagram or Messenger or whatever and then we do video calls every now and then and, you know, it's that's, uh, yeah, that's really a beautiful thing. And I, I think on the flip side as well, the, sometimes with family I found that hard because I was away from family for many years and I would come home for like Christmas holidays or some, or some kind of holiday and try and do a few gigs and then try and spend quality time with family. And you would just get these like two weeks or three weeks of intense time. And then you just wouldn't see them again for so long and you'd miss out on birthdays or like weddings or funerals and, Mm. you know, and so in the last, you know, years I've been, I really tried to come home more for things that were, like that but you just can't come home for every single thing it's not possible financially you know (laughs) when you're just living on an income where you're just living from touring you know (laughs) exactly yeah Mm. so I feel like you're talking about my life whatever you're saying I'm like yes that's me (laughs) (laughs) um out of curiosity are most of your friends also musicians on some or someone related to the industry or they're just like non non non-musicians just regular people um it's funny most of yeah, most sorry. of my mate it's funny most of my male friends are musicians like okay. most of them like my, my really close male friends are pretty much almost all musicians but most of my female friends not so much I have more mm, I guess like they're all kind of entrepreneur type people who are very independent and very kind of spiritual and stuff but they're you know living their best lives <laughs> that kind of people but in all kinds of fields, you know, yeah. all kinds of different, you know. Mm. The, the reason I'm asking is because, you know, mostly I think we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded and they kind of share our ideas and stuff. So I was kind of True. interested you know, what it is in the musician's world. Yeah. I, I find that interesting too, because I think I, I was literally thinking about that today, how, you know, when sometimes your circle of people change, like when you change jobs or you change like where you live or whatever, but, it's also when you do inner work on changing your energetics or your beliefs or things like that, you know, things shift and then the people that are attracted to you or that go out of your life sort of change as well. And I was literally thinking about that today. I was like, that's really interesting who's kind of around me at the moment in my world, you know. Yeah, true. true. It's, it's changing. It's, it's in a state of a little bit of a state of flux, I think, at the moment. In the third part of our chat, Prita and I got a bit more serious and entrepreneurial. I wanted to know how she organized her finances, booking, and all the admin stuff. We also discussed playing the gigs you like versus the ones that pay the rent, and whether having a manager is always beneficial for independent musos. I wanted to touch on a topic which is perhaps not the most comfortable to talk about, but I don't want you to give me any numbers or anything. But uh, a lot of people get into this business and they want to stay independent, don't realize how challenging that is and how hard it is financially. So Mm. you mentioned that, you know, like it's hard, you know, to come to Australia from Europe and the other way around because obviously of the ticket prices and so on. So how do you manage your budget and like how do you kind of navigate that world? Because I can imagine it's very unstable. And kind of mm. scary sometimes because you don't have that income which comes every month into your account, but you kind of yeah. there get a gig, you know, whatever other event here. So, or like if you could talk about like the advice of how people could approach it, like if there are new musicians or you know, yeah, thinking of that aspect. I mean, right, like currently, right now, I'm not touring full time. I'm doing it kind of part time. 
um and I because I'm back in Australia and I had you know I had to do a different job when I came home for a while and I'm you know in hospitality again working in cafes and stuff like that and I've um yeah I've just I've just literally gone from working full-time as a manager in a in my brother's cafe for 18 months which was completely consuming my whole life amazing experience but just also completely consuming and I had no not much time or energy for music to now cutting back to like a part-time four mornings a week cafe job where I and then weekends are dedicated to music and I've been doing lots more gigs and I'm just I'm just starting that ramping that up again um but when I was living from music solely I did it for like 12 years or so just purely music and when I did that the things that made my income more stable was always planning ahead like having to plan at least six months ahead um what I what am I going to do in the next six months and then booking those gigs you know six months like definitely the six months like three months ahead six months hopefully and then if you can 12 months you know just keeping those and always keeping a, a kind of a flow of, you know, weekly looking at gigs and booking gigs and like keeping in a state of flow with it. So you're answering the emails, you've got, you're shooting ahead for the gigs. I call it fishing because sometimes you, when you go to a new place, you just like want to play new gigs or you want to try a new circuit. So you throw out the net and see what comes back, you know, what you pull in, who answers and who's the, what's the right kind of gig. And so that's one thing that helped was always planning, you know, that little bit ahead and keeping the ball rolling, I would say, just so that you never kind of, because if you, as soon as you stop booking gigs for a while, then suddenly you'll end up with a patch of no gigs and you'll be freaking out going, oh, my God, I've got no gigs, no income. What am I going to (laughs) do? So it's like just that that need to kind of keep things rolling and flowing and get in a good, like, routine with it, you know? Sure. And, um, Um, and, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. I had a different question. Oh, I was just—I was going to say also there was some, you know, there's some gigs that you do as an independent musician, which you call money gigs, you know? So you have some that you love gigs or you're doing because it's like really the kind of shows you so want to do, or it's expressing yourself or playing some really cool festival or supporting some huge artist that you love. And then other ones might be just like playing cover gigs in an Irish pub, you know? but you make good money during it. So it's like, that'll pay the rent. And then you, so you have, you know, do some gigs where you're paying the rent and some gigs where you're doing what you really want to do. You know, so sure. in the end, it becomes a kind of a balance of, um, yeah, just getting the right balance for you. What works for you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I imagine that you do everything yourself. So you do your booking and PR and marketing and also and, and some other things. Have you ever had a manager? Um, I've dabbled with having a manager um a couple of times but I found it <laughs> I you know no disrespect to the people um, but I just found that I realized in those moments that my personality is so wired hardwired to freedom mm-hmm. that that and being a little bit you know and being very independent and being um I don't like to have exclusive agreements with anybody because I feel like I need that freedom to be able to choose always um yeah so the times I have doubled with it it's sort of I've realized very quickly like no I need to I need to have that choice and that freedom so I have definitely worked with booking agents though and that's different because um when you work with when you work with the right booking agents that you have a good relationship with and you gel with and they give you the right kind of gigs and you're paying them you know the right fee it's like there's a there can be a really good mutual benefit when you work with booking agents 
mm-hmm. but I never really like to do that exclusively. So I've always had like a few that I'd work with and then I'd do a lot of bookings myself and, and you know, you just, you just have to be respectful that if someone's booked you at a place, you don't go there and then book that place yourself if they booked you there. You know, just, just like respect, you know, unless they don't book there anymore, mm. you know, then it becomes free for all. Anyone can book there. But, you know, it's like if you if you want to go to a venue, like, for example, here there's like um, I know that there's lots of booking agents here in Perth that I haven't even really got in touch with yet, but um, they sort of book certain venues. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not on their books and I approach the venue myself, that's fine because if I haven't got that relationship already, and you know. Sure. But if I have got the relationship, then I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I'd have to go through them and, you know, it just sort of, it can be very beneficial, but it can also be limiting depending on how you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess there's a lot of things that you have to learn as a musician, you know, it just, there's no kind of like guidelines or like a book that says, this is what you do. And it's like a blueprint for everything. And it's just like how you feel. And um, you kind of work on your relationships with everybody in the industry, obviously. Yeah. But I'm asking yeah, because um, I've worked with artists as well, and I used well, I used to be a manager as well. And I think when you start in the business, uh, the independent people or like you know, um, like very young people who start in as musicians, they think that having a manager is an automatic step forward, which kind of will bring you to another level. Not necessarily. It really depends, obviously, because not everybody can get you know whoever chug entertainment right away, or you know, kind of the job, yeah. that sort. So. It's interesting uh, to hear your opinion about it as well. And I guess a lot of musicians also mentioned that they really want to have that freedom of control and, you know, like kind of doing mm. everything themselves and kind of keeping their personality and image and not being told what they have to do, how they have to do it and when they have to do it. So I respect mm. that enormously. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I was just going to say something as sure. well. Like you just reminded yeah. me of like one of the, one of the first people back in the day that offered to manage me, um, they one of the first things they said to me was like oh well you have to change your outfit you have to wear this and and get a trio and do this and do that and I'm just like uh and I went away and thought about it and I thought but I don't I don't want that like I don't want to dress like that and I don't I don't want to be in a trio I wanted to play by myself or you know have my own thing you know so that that immediately kind of made me go like oh I don't think I want to work with that person because they already trying to have such control over everything I was doing and you know maybe in their mind it made business sense to do that because they could get me different gigs or this or that or the look or, but I was just like just the way they approached it was totally wrong for me you know it's I think I think it's very um I mean I've, I have studied at one point I did study like music business as just in a TAFE course you know because I wanted to get more of an idea of like get my head around the business side of things and what I needed to have in place and um But I think I've just I've just learned so much by doing, you know, and of course I made mistakes along the way, but you just learn so much just by doing it. Like it's like uphill learning curve, but it's like once you learn how to, you know, book your own tours and like do all the logistics and, you know, get all the right money, you know, deals, like negotiate how much money you want and, you know, and then also having to kind of always have a self kind of checking thing where you go, what's my what's my base level that I have and my minimum that I have to get? Because some people offer you really shitty pay or really shitty conditions. And they like, they'll say, Oh, it's for exposure or it's like, yeah, it's a, but it's a, on your way. Like it'll be a great gig. And I'm just like, mm, I think I'd rather have a day off, you know, yeah, <laughs> then, exactly. then, you know, yeah. And, but I really had to learn over the, 
Yeah. How is exposure going to feed you or pay your bills? You know, I mean, exposure is great, but yeah. at the end of the day, you guys have to live off them, you know, the, uh, the gig as well. So yeah, I completely relate and I agree. Yeah. I remember one, one really big um, horse racing event in Germany where they asked me to, they had, they contacted me out of like from seeing me online or wherever and asked me if I would come and perform at this thing and if I could give them a quote and da, da, da. And no, I don't think they asked for a quote actually. They just asked if I would perform and they, and I, and so I was like chatting to them going, okay, so what, how many times, you know, how many hours and da, da, da. And they basically wanted me to play all day from about nine in the morning to about five in the afternoon and move to different spots, like okay. kind of a busking scenario with no PA outside, all ridiculous for me. Um, and then in the end of it, I was like, okay, well, this is how much it will cost you if you want that. <laughs> Cause I was really adamant at that time. I was like that I can see what they're doing already. They were like trying to push the limit. And, and then um, they came back with, Oh no, no, no. It was just for exposure. And like, you can sell your CDs. I'm like, I can sell my CDs anywhere. I don't need your venue, your race thing. And I thought there would be so much money in that event and they couldn't like offer even, you know, I just thought that's so cheeky. It so is. Cheeky. You know, I think we could spend the whole day to talk about um, the perception of musicians as this not being an actual profession, which I think is outrageous. Mm. And I know, yeah. as long as the perception is like that, then we can't do anything about it. So I think education is really important. You know, I mean, you guys put the yeah. effort, you know, and your time and everything into it. And I think you should be remunerated for that. And that's the end of the story. And yes, exposure is great. And there are some, probably sometimes you would do things for exposure if it's for Oh, yeah. in my case, if it's, um, I don't know, social activism kind of thing, you know, for charity and stuff, obviously, but it can't. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It cannot be a constant scenario that you always ask to do things for exposure. So, yeah. What I wanted to say is what you said about your cafe experience and working in hospitality. Can I just say this is such a common experience that I hear from musicians all over the place? Yeah, I think it does depend too. Like, I mean, uh, when I when I first started doing music full time here in Australia, and I really made that decision to do that. I I did put my book, my um, you know, bio and my music out to a few different booking agents, and I got a lot of work through them. So I had regular gigs every weekend. Like I would have, I would have month long residencies where I play every Sunday at a venue, and then every Saturday somewhere else, and every Friday somewhere else, and that would pay my bills. And then I would do all my other gigs in between, where you know, original gigs here and original gigs there, and I'd do weddings and I'd do this and that and. You can make a living from it, definitely, but it's like it depends if you're willing to do the gigs that, that pay pay for that. Yeah. You know, if you if you're like kind of too proud to, you know, do any of them, then yeah, maybe it's hard. If you just want to do only do originals and not do any, you know, if you're not at that level or you haven't kind of gotten up there, wherever there is, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, it's called diversifying your, your business, exactly. That's you know, it, that's it. That you <laughs> Sometimes you do things that you hate. <laughs> that's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Last but not least, my silly talk with Prita steered in the direction of the topic that got me interested in her story in the first place. Why did she move to Europe at all? And why, of all places, did she make Berlin her headquarters? But I really wanted to talk to you about Berlin. And first question, yeah. why Berlin and not any other place in Europe? Uh, well, the first, 
the first couple of times I went around Europe with for music, I was still based in Australia and I just, I toured from Australia over to Europe, did like a bit of a circuit. Like I just kind of, I literally got random gigs in all different countries because I wanted to travel because I love traveling and I wanted to play music. So I knew I wanted to travel, I wanted to play music. So I just kind of put them together and I played in like bars in Prague and I played in Athens and I played in Estonia and I played in Berlin a couple of gigs and then in England and I just kind of hopped around and I played in, in Denmark, in Copenhagen and, you know, and I just, I had a couple of like really lovely contacts over there who really just helped me get a foot in the door with one or two gigs in different countries. And then I just kind of pieced together this little pathway between, you know, but every time I'd been through Berlin, I just felt like I had such a good vibe there and I had such a good creative feeling and I, and I, whenever I had been there, I'd written songs. So it kind of, I was like, oh, it's getting me in the right space to write songs. And I'm like, this is, this is a good space for me to be in, like this kind of energy in this area. And, um, yeah, and when I first sort of, I actually lived in Greece for a little while, like only a few months, you know, in, in Athens. And, and then I came back to Australia and I ended up packing up all my stuff and selling everything and originally moving to England because that's where I could get a visa. And then, yes, yeah, so I went, I went there for a few months and, but I just, I didn't really want to be based in England because it was too similar to Australia. It was too like white and too, um, everybody speaks English. It's just like, uh, like but for me, it was like not what I went overseas for. I, I wanted something more exotic and more interesting. I want to learn a different language and I wanted to experience different culture. And, and so from there I was, really at that point deciding between Paris and Berlin because I thought major city is probably the best place for me to start somewhere yeah. where there's good transport to fly everywhere or catch trains everywhere in Europe um and also yeah I mean I love I love France I love Paris and I really loved Berlin so I just I was kind of tossing up between them and I just I always just follow my gut you know my gut feeling was just try Berlin and I had a friend actually email me right at the time when I was trying to decide he randomly out of the blue just emailed me and said, oh, hey, I've got a spare room in Berlin in my Vicky, you know, if you want to come over and share house for a few months, you know, it's, and if you don't want to, that's fine, you know, but you can try it out. And, that, and then because I got that offer, I thought, oh, it's meant to be, I'll just go there. And yeah. then I just didn't leave for eight years. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's great. I mean, I, I don't know what Paris is like when it comes to the music scene, but I know Berlin as well, because it's very close to where I come from in Poland. And I, I used to travel to Berlin when I was younger, but it was a completely different city. And I think it's changed for better now, like yeah. in the last few years. And um, I love it as well. I mean, there are so many things happening there, you know, when it comes to music. Mm. The music scene is really, really like flourishing, I would say, at the moment. Um, yeah. So we know why Berlin and not any other place. And why not the States, for instance? I was going to say that at the beginning, but I forgot. Because, you know, like everybody who wants to make it in the business kind of, well, we'll talk yeah. about successes as well. But um, everybody wants to go to America, you know, because that's where the money is. That's where everybody famous is. That's where the labels are and stuff. Um, so I ended up doing a few gigs over there and it was fine and it was fun. And it was, you know, I like, I love playing wherever I am, but I guess for me, I don't know that I just have such a strong pull for Europe because I just feel like for me, it's about the whole experience, you know, like it's, I just, it's so, so rich in culture, you know, like going from this country to that country to, you know, in within a few hours, you can be going through three different languages or like, you know, 
all these different types of food and different types of people and culture. And to me, that's just so much more exciting. Like, it's just, it's, I don't know, it just makes me feel like, I don't know if you can tell, but yeah, I get excited. You know, I love, I love Europe and I really love so many places that I've been to and, and lived for short times in different parts and just, I don't know. I just think there's so much to learn and experience there. Um, yeah, I just, and America's America. I don't know. I just haven't felt that pull, to be honest. All right, that's it for the silly talk with Prita today. I told you she's very modest, didn't I? Thanks for listening to this episode. And don't forget to tune in on Thursday. We'll continue the conversation about Prita's plans, her opinion on the European versus Australian audiences, and what she defines as success. If you're patient, you might even find out why she would love to collaborate with Stormzy. Learn more about Prita on her socials, deeds of which you'll find in the episode notes. And if you're in WA, I'm sure you'll catch her gigging somewhere on your way. Have I already mentioned that it would mean the world to me if you followed or subscribed to this podcast? I'll just leave it here. Speak soon, fam.